I covered quite a a broad range of loose subjects in the podcast I've done so far. Um, and a lot of the topics I probably touch on at the time, so some of them are quite in-depth subjects that uh, need a fair amount of covering. And some of them I agree with, some of them I don't, some of them I practice, some of them I don't. Um, you know, just general but they're all they're all sort of connected to this way of life um but in this one i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna ask a question what kind of person uh wants to be self-sufficient um because obviously i can answer that quite well being that person um but i guess there are lots of different types of people um they have to be in all honesty um some people see it you know see the programs on tv and think yeah i want to do that some people um you know have hugely stressful lives uh you know and they want to get rid of all that um stressful lives stressful jobs get rid of all that and move to a, a more relaxed quieter way of life or what they perceive to be a quieter more relaxed way of life um some people it's a a natural progression some people born in it born into it um so you know there's going to be some people just fall into it accidentally i guess (laughs) i don't know anybody but they, they they're bound to be out there um and some people i guess you know i guess with the accidental they you know they get left something and you know that's it they're suddenly got this place and they don't know what to do with it but uh they soon find out so i there's no i mean there's any type of reason why you'd want to be self-sufficient and of course self-sufficiency does not always have to be on a small holding it doesn't have to be on a on a massive scale um although obviously the more land you've got the more self-sufficient you can be uh in terms of everything um but but from my point of view i suppose i i i'm going to talk about what makes what makes people want to be self sufficient really i suppose why did i want to be self sufficient um i didn't have a stressful job i you know that i didn't have a stressful life particularly I didn't accidentally fall into it. I didn't, uh, I, you know, I didn't, I was going to say I didn't see it on the telly and think I really want that, but there's a little bit of that that's not quite true. I'll get to that. Um, so for me, it's definitely a natural progression. Um, I, as I said, I've said before, I started off uh, gardening um, which progressed to organic gardening, which obviously included uh, growing your own vegetables and things. And I've said before, I had the most amazing tutor that uh, really knew so much about uh, the countryside and um, how to preserve the countryside, that uh, that was a massive influence. Um, and then... We had the opportunity 
to buy this place, at which time I was already growing um, some of our own food in our garden, which was a, you know, mainly a, a flower garden, but I had a large area that uh, that we were growing our own food in. Um, so kind of, it was a kind of a natural progression. And, and uh, a friend of mine, you know, I, I can't remember if I've said this before, but she'd said, uh, would you take on one of these triplet lambs and bottle feed it? And I said, yeah. And, you know, and I was really rather hooked then. Um, so then, so there, so there we were able to buy this place and then I could really get started on growing the amounts of food that you would need uh, in order not to have to go and buy it at the supermarket, um, which is quite a lot of food and, and not just through the growing season, obviously you grow it through the growing season and you eat it fresh, but you, there's a lot of preservation to do. Uh, processing the food, freezing the food, um, drying the food and all that. And one thing you will notice I don't mention is um, canning because I've never really, I, I suppose I'm afraid of canning. I mean, in North America, it's big, it's massive. Uh, here in the UK, it's not so big, well, nowhere near. Um, it's, get, it's getting more and more uh, popular. But because of that, we don't have the equipment here that is necessary it's not it's not manufactured here um and you have to if you want decent canning equipment you have to send for it uh from america so it's not big over here um although it is growing in popularity i'm a little bit afraid of it john said it isn't that a bit like having a a bomb sat on top of (laughs) on top of the work surface and i'm like well i don't know (laughs) So uh, that kind of put me off a bit. I do, I do make jams and chutneys and then water bath and what we'd call water bath over here. Um, but yeah, so canning is something I, you know, I, I would love to do, shown how to do it properly. And I'm, I like to be shown how to do things. I, I, you know, I'm not particularly confident if I've read it and watched it. I, I, I'd like to be shown in person how, how to do something before I tackle it. Um, especially something that could uh, potentially cause food poisoning um, and things like that. So, so yeah. So, so for us, it it's a case of um, freezing, um, drying, uh, and things like that to preserve and storing to preserve uh, the things that I grow. Um, the meat, obviously, that was... When we did the meat, that was easy enough. You you read it, it went off to the abattoir in this country. You, uh, I think that the when I looked it up, the rule is that you can butcher... You can um, slaughter on your property, but technically, lawfully, only you are then allowed to eat it. So you can't even share it with your family, Um I'm not sure how many people stick to that, but so so slaughtering on farm is not common practice here. Uh, the abattoirs are getting few and far between. Uh, the abattoirs that are out there are generally great big ones. There are a few small family run ones still. The mobile slaughter has gone, has disappeared, and which is a shame because uh, if there was mobile slaughtering, I probably would definitely consider it again. But it's. Uh, it's not to to be and also there are laws with uh 
the the weight of bird that you can legally uh, slaughter at home and has to be humane slaughter so then there um obviously it has to be humane but that will all depend on the weight of the bird and once it gets to a certain weight it can't be done uh, unless you have the equipment which tends to cost quite a lot of money Uh, so they're they're kind of reasons why um, we sort of gave up in the end because uh, basically the red tape is is too much I mean but one thing I always think is I I have the skills if necessary so you know, as I always say, at the back of my mind, if the the world went sideways, um, we have these skills. We can we can do it if we have to. Uh, at the minute, we choose not to. So that that's uh, one sort of little side of self sufficiency. When I talk about um, self sufficiency, of course, I'm I am always mostly going to talk about food because that's my my main area um and though i would love to be self-sufficient in every area and there are a lot of other areas um i am not married to the wonderful mr dick strawbridge and if if anybody doesn't know who he is um have a look uh, look him up the man can build anything uh and and make anything um He's an incredible, incredible source for self-sufficiency. And I uh, have been aware of Dick Strawbridge long before he had a chateau. Uh, He's been on the self-sufficient scene for um, many, many years, uh, along with his son, James. Um, I've known about them for a long time, but he's just incredibly resourceful, and John is fairly resourceful, but not nowhere near that. He doesn't have any engineering skills or um, things like that. And he's not really particularly interested in in that sort of thing either. And it's as much as I can get him to do as a plumber to rig up the water, you know, the water tanks um, properly. Uh, you know, I say, come on, you're a plumber. You must know how we can get this water from here to here without the aid of electricity or whatever but he's there you know if he if he's a mind to it he will get on the project and he'll do it but um some things are you know beyond him uh beyond both of us and so mainly I will talk about uh, food when I'm talking when I'm talking about self-sufficiency and as I've said before I think you know if we lost the power if we lost the lights and if we lost water um, and the internet, I don't know what I'd do without the internet, but if we lost the internet and phones and everything, um, it's going to be really hard, but we could uh, manage, I could manage, um, to, you know, to live, to survive then, uh, on, with the skills that, um, I've acquired over the years and with John's, you know, skills that he does have, we would uh we would be able to survive and that is um self sufficiency uh, worst case scenario i suppose um we would be able to do that so uh, and i don't really know what what drove me towards that but once i i say it is a natural progression and once you do one thing you think all oh, right uh, you know 
you know, I don't know, it becomes, I suppose it's almost like there's a challenge and you accept the challenge and you overcome the challenge and then you want the next one, the next challenge. Once you've uh, done these challenges, I suppose, I suppose if I look at it, there becomes some sort of drive then to drive forward and uh, just to see exactly how far you can go. Um, and for me, I think I, I would have liked to uh, not been reliant on things like power from the grid and water. Uh, pumped to the house and um, things like that. I I really did want to be off grid uh, for quite a while, but soon became apparent that that was not going to happen. Uh, mainly because John didn't have the skills to build um, solar that would sustain us, and um, and to invest in these things is a lot of money um i dare i dare say had i really pushed for it and got him to plow through all the books and look at all the videos and talk to people we could have um built something you know that would have made us off grid and uh not sure about the water because again you'd have to um dig a borehole which which costs thousands because again there's red tape around all of that it's not a case of you know, in today's world of uh, just digging a borehole. Um, so, yeah, the, we we could have if I really, really pushed hard for it, but circumstances always got in the way. It was like the case of, you know, other things that needed doing or uh, illnesses came up or m- lack of money to do, to carry out these projects. So that that is a, an area that I would have liked to delve into, but we couldn't um, for various reasons, one reason or another. Uh, we did, we had the Rayburn, uh, which we, obviously we had to buy that initially. That was, we were self-sufficient as far as, provide you know providing our own heating obviously we had to have electric to do that we weren't on solar but we all the wood that we burnt on there and we only ever burnt wood was wood that we either were well mostly were given um from one source or another uh, we used to have a chap who regularly used to bring us um wood to burn on there or you know all people know that we had that and say, you know, I've got a tree that's, you know, or some wood that's been sat in the garden for years. Do you want it? Yes, please. You know, and we would have mountains. I mean, a mountain, a huge mountain of wood um, to to burn. But, you know, that that takes a long time to cut up all the time. And uh, so that side of it is... Uh, and, and again, if John was wholeheartedly uh, on the same path as me that probably wouldn't have been a problem that we were, you know, but he, he was obviously, he was working his day job as well. Um, and you know, he was not so inclined, uh, as I initially was. And eventually, you know, I could see that 
there is you have to have a balance in life because if you wanted to be totally so self-sufficient you would just work to live you know um and that's probably not a good balance and certainly not a good balance once your family gets a little bit bigger and you've got grandchildren you know there are other things going on you know that you if you just lived entirely like that you probably wouldn't have a lot of time for anything else at all so uh which we don't we don't want that anymore i at one point i would have considered it completely but um as we've got older and uh the family's got bigger you know we want we want to be able to enjoy that as well because let's face it you're only here once I'm beginning to realise as I'm talking that this topic is much more um, complicated than I initially thought it was because, and I think a lot of that is because uh, we've been doing it for such a long time that um, it's commonplace to us, um, to me. So, uh, but actually, the more I think about it, the more complex it is. Um, Self-sufficiency is is so many things and so i i think it has to be part of a personality as well um i think that that's going to be true if i delved into that deep enough i think i'm you're going to find that that is definitely uh, something to do with it personality traits um you know other things being um you know, fairly frugal, and that doesn't mean tight, that just means not buying things that you don't really need, um, you know, I have a, a, you know, I've got ornaments around my house and things, but I don't, uh, deliberately go out looking for things, unless I've, unless we've just done a room up and, and things like that, but I also, you know, I've got boxes of stuff, um, that I've had for years, uh, that I think, oh yeah, I, I can go and get that and put that out. Things I've been given, birthday presents, I've just swapped it, swapped it around. And um, I, I, somebody said the other day that the average, the average person wears uh, an item of clothing ten times before, before it uh, they get rid of it. And I'm, I, I've got dresses in my wardrobe that I've had for over 20 years and I would gladly still wear them again you know I do wear them again get them out try them on and um so frugality I suppose is uh is another one it's a part of being self-sufficient I think that is just part of who I am I don't really see the need to go out um clothes shopping unless I haven't got any clothes that I can wear outside <laughs> but obviously I do you know people buy you birthday presents and Christmas presents and um things like that so I've always got plenty of mostly the same clothing <laughs> but but plenty of clothing that um that I can wear I also I like to shop in charity shops uh in more normal times I love to shop in charity shops uh, I've loved to shop in charity shops even when the children were little um couldn't see the point of paying all that money for a, a nice, a pretty dress that was practically brand new that somebody had paid a fortune for, sent it to the charity shop or the thrift shop, and uh, I could go along and buy that for, you know, pennies. Uh, brilliant. It's There's nothing wrong with it. Um, and so 
I think that is uh, that's always been there too. It's all it's part of uh, personality trait, um, as far as I can see. Um, the other things are like, for instance, uh, more so more so now than uh, back in the day. But we um, we tr- I try to eat seasonally. We try I try to make sure our food is seasonal. And what I mean by that is I've said before. If it's not in season, uh, I I I try not to buy it. But there are things I will buy. But uh, and that's been I've been like that for years and years um, before we came here. So uh, yeah, maybe it's just all in, an integral part of uh, of everything. And and trying to live fairly simply. We don't have a hectic life. We don't have a hectic social life. We're not, um, you know before children that's a very long time ago we we would probably spend well we did spend every night down the local pub um but once children came along it became much more important to be a family unit and uh so that's what what we did and we'd you know we will go out for a meal now and again we will maybe pop down the pub if something special is happening um or somebody's visiting and they want to go out but uh generally speaking uh we live fairly simply and uh that's not boring we're just very happy like that it's uh that doesn't bother us at all um i don't know what else is there's so many things that uh that are they go hand in hand i suppose and i suppose what i'm saying is i i think talking about it i think that that personality traits are a massive um part of being self-sufficient there there would no point there would be no point being striving for that if you gave up at every hurdle uh so i think you know strength of character in relation to that has to be part of it as well because uh there are so many times you know i mean hundreds of times I could have turned around and said, uh, you know, tried something, it goes wrong, it doesn't work out, give up, right, I just give up now. But I don't. I I might moan about it and stomp about it and shout about it and scream about it, even cry about it. But generally speaking, I will give it time, have a think about it, pick myself up and start all over again. I'm inclined to think that another part of um, being somebody who uh, strives for self-sufficiency has to be somebody who's fairly flexible as well. Well, I certainly am now. And I don't, I wasn't always like that. Um, uh, You know, I think this is what I want to do. This is how I want it done. Uh, there are no no discussions, but over time it it becomes apparent that you, things don't always go like that, or plans don't always um, come to fruition in the time frame that you wanted them to, uh, and so you learn to be much more flexible, much more flexible in the way that you think. Um, and the way that you do things 
and the way that you expect things to be done. Um, you do have to be flexible, I think. It, uh, I don't know, analysing this is quite quite difficult, really. But, yeah, flexibility, because if you're not flexible, uh, that's when stress comes in and that's when you're going to make yourself ill. So, uh, but, you know... I, Oh, and we're not laid too laid back either, so the much that we fall over. But I think you do have to be flexible and think, right, okay, that's not going to happen, you know, next week, next month, maybe not even next year. But at some point, um, it will happen. Uh, and, you know, same with things, you know, you, I think, right, okay, there's an idea, I'll run with that. But if it doesn't work out, um, most times I can think, okay, well, that didn't work. Uh, I'll either shelve it or abandon it totally. Try something different. Um, because, uh, and I suppose that, you know, there is a, that ties in with the, with the not giving up as well. Um, so yeah, there, there's an awful lot more to it than I even thought there was when I was thinking about it. It, when I thought about it, to talk about it, it seems so simple. But actually, the more I talk about it, the more complex I can see that it is, uh, which is really interesting. So I'm going to go back to that reference I made um, right at the beginning when I was talking about why people went into it and... Uh, you know, they may have been influenced by something they've seen on the telly. Um, for me, one of the biggest influences uh, into moving forward into that way of life was uh, River Cottage. Um, and I know that, you know, millions of people all over the world have have watched it. And uh, back at, I think it's slightly changed tack a little bit now, but back in the day it was... You know, I was fascinated by the whole, the whole thing that Hugh was trying to do, and um, I thought, yeah, this is, uh, he, you know, he's right on so many points, and uh, I really wanted to move in that direction. So that was a big influence, and you know, the, uh, you know, I've said before, there've been a couple of quite big influences um, in my life, and that that was that was one of them. Um, and I did actually, <coughs> sorry, the dogs are barking like that. I did actually get to go to River Cottage, um, to do a cheese making course, uh, one year, which, which, uh, the girls bought me for Christmas. And it was just, um, you know, it was just like my Mecca, I suppose it was, uh, I was absolutely overwhelmed to be there. I chuffed to bits and I absolutely loved it. I didn't meet you at all, but still the whole the whole it felt like this is a coming home thing you know when I went there um to do it and it was the most fabulous day and I learned to make cheese and the cheese was fabulous and I I just thoroughly enjoyed that that was a, a fantastic fantastic experience another thing that I've become acutely aware of when I'm listening back to it is the fact that uh of course we live in a in a first world country um and none of this that I do is for survival. 
uh, which which it would be in in a third world country. So, um, in that respect, I'm privileged uh, to be able to do what I do, uh, and you know the privileges that we all have in this country. Um, sometimes often get forgotten um, and but I was just really aware uh, while I'm listening back to it thinking well that's all very well done but you know you don't even have to do this you you don't have to do any of this you, it's not a survival thing if if everything went Pete Tong and I lost everything one year uh, I'm still gonna be okay um, so yeah that's that is a thing that that sprung to mind and when I was listening to it I'm thinking you sound very <laughs> indulged I suppose and uh and I, I suppose it is I you know I've indulged my myself in in the way that I want to live I don't do it out of necessity I don't have to do it and I I, I would still survive even if we didn't if I didn't do it so um but again, I think as as the type of person that wants to be self-sufficient, that probably is, like again, questioning. Question yourself, question everything. Um, question what you're doing, why you're doing it. Uh, maybe that is, again, part of personality. So rounding up this episode, um, which I've explored uh, myself and my personality entirely <laughs> who knew where it was going to take me not me when I started that's for sure um I guess what makes somebody want to be self-sufficient comes from within um and is influenced by exterior things that happen or that they see um and I think also, I, one of the things I didn't really touch on at all is the, um, the, the need to be able to survive if necessary. And I have no idea where that comes from, but I just, it is a very, um, it's very deep within me. Maybe it's all of the apocalyptic novels I read or watch, the, you know, the series and things. Um, but I do, or maybe it's it's much more, um, much deeper. Maybe it goes back further than that. Maybe it's much more tribal. Maybe it's, um, you know, part of being a human being uh, that um, it's some people still hang on to, uh, I guess. Because a lot of people, f f the way I see it, a lot of people don't have that within them they're quite happy for the world to carry them along for the government to carry them along um you know for the systems that they are within to carry them along uh but i always think well hang on a minute what happens if uh, if that goes wrong what happens if one of those systems break down what happens if you know something uh doesn't do what it's supposed to do um and uh I suppose that's just part of me. Again, I, I don't know where that comes from, 
it's how I, how I see things and so I suppose I like to um, make sure that if those things happened and I'm not saying they ever will but if they did I would be able to um, overcome the challenges that that brought uh, and like I said I have no idea where that comes from it is just part of who I am and uh, part of wanting to be self-sufficient I suppose so yeah so that there, I guess there's no actually definite ideas but that's that's me and that's why I want to be self-sufficient um and I think that actually that last part is actually a quite a big part of it uh but I can you know you, you still carry on living the normal daily life but um always at the back of my mind is you know if something if things went wrong uh, I can still manage. That's that's me in a nutshell.